January is Human Trafficking Prevention Month. What are the signs and how can we help? Dion Coleman, Executive Director at Samaritan Village, joins us. I'm Lawrence Cleddy, and this is Legal Talk Today. Hello, audience. Welcome back. Today, we're talking about a very important topic, the topic of human trafficking, and uh, wanted to do this episode in particular to build some awareness, provide some additional facts. And we have a great guest join us today, Dion Coleman, the Executive Director of the Samaritan Village. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, Dion, can I call you D? Is that okay? Absolutely. Yeah, you can certainly call me D. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I have, we have a lot of questions for you. Now, obviously, it's a serious topic, and you know, we've done episodes on this in the past on, on different shows on, on Legal Talk Network, and uh, you know, I learn something new every time. And so opening question, just for the bona fides, you, know, you, you work at Samaritan Village, but what kind of work do you all do down there? And it's Orlando, right? Orlando, Florida? Yeah, we are in Orlando, Florida, and essentially what we do is we provide a safe place, or more specifically, a safe house. Uh, where women that have been sex trafficked, um, that have been recovered or rescued can come and they can heal from their trauma, recover from addiction, and ultimately take back their lives so that they can then go out and help more women that have been in the same type of situation. And our program is 12 to 18 months long and it's trauma informed. And while they're here in our safe house, you know, they receive access to education and vocational training and a plethora of therapeutic offerings like individual therapy. And then they go on to um, getting spiritual and emotional development as they are recovering from their trauma. Wow, that, that's, uh, that's a lot of work. I'm sure that's very <laughs> challenging, but I would imagine very rewarding at the same time. It is. It is incredibly rewarding. Now, you brought up uh, sex trafficking, but I know that human trafficking goes into other aspects. And so this is one of the uh, kind of the things I learned in one of our previous interviews is that it's not just about sex trafficking. There's other purposes for trafficking. So can we talk about those? You know, what are the reasons for trafficking? What happens to people that find themselves trafficked? Sure. Well, there's two major areas when we talk about trafficking here in the United States of how people are being trafficked. And one of the ways is labor. And the other way is sex trafficking, which is actually 79% of reported cases of trafficking are sex trafficking cases. And trafficking happens for a number of reasons, which really boil down to a person's individual vulnerabilities, right? So for some time, for someone, it might be that um, it's socioeconomic. And so somebody comes in offering them an opportunity to live a life that they would not be able to or, or receive items that they would not be able to purchase on their own. And a lot of times it's it's self-esteem. So we do a lot of work with parents and families on helping them build up their parenting skills in order to prevent that from happening to their kids. Dion, as thanks to some of that uh, information uh, that your organization sent to us, I learned a little bit more uh, in preparation for our interview today. And when it comes to the sex trafficking part of human trafficking, there's a pretty short lifespan for some of the victims. Is that true? Yeah. So the average lifespan for uh, a person that's been sex trafficked is about seven years or, you know, their lifespan decreases to seven years. And that's just due to a number of factors, mostly the abuse that they receive at the hand of their traffickers and their buyers. And then oftentimes traffickers rope them into a life of addiction. And so they're caught in this endless cycle of addiction and just the, the very risky behaviors that come along with being trafficked. Now, when you say seven years, do you mean they're in the trade for seven years before um, they pass away? Or is it that their lifespan is shortened by seven years? 
they're in the trade for about seven years. Yeah. Before they pass away is typically what the statistics are reporting. So it's incredibly difficult. And you, you, it makes you think of how many people go under the radar um, that then pass away that we don't even realize we're being victimized. That's just amazing to me um, that that goes on in the United States. One of the questions I had that I wanted to learn more about, too, was just how big this industry is. You know, obviously, there's people out there that are risking a lifetime in prison for doing this, especially if people are dying because of it. But, uh, you know, how many victims are there and how much money is involved when we're talking about human trafficking, uh, sex trafficking in the United States? Yeah, it's an incredible, you know, industry, second only to, I think, the drug trade in terms of criminal activity, then the number of victims and the, the amount of money it generates. I think last year, they said there was roughly 50 million victims of human trafficking globally, with hundreds of thousands of those being in the United States. And then as um, a criminal you know, ring, it's over a $150 billion market you know, being made for traffickers. 99 billion of those come specifically from the the sexual exploitation, the commercial sexual industry. And so there is a lot of money to be made. I often will tell people that traffickers understand the value of a body, right? In America, the average trafficker makes about $100,000 a year per woman that he's trafficking. So there's a lot of money to be made. And that's why this is such a difficult thing to stop because there's a, a, a steady demand. The demand is obviously there. And then you know, you've got people that see it as very lucrative as an opportunity to advance their life. You addressed this a little bit earlier, but in, in terms of the sort of the typical victim, you had mentioned that these are people that maybe want access to a better lifestyle. Maybe they wanted uh, some type of personal approval they weren't getting. But uh, you know, just typically speaking, some of the people that you work with, who are they? So they are everyone. That's what I like to say. You know, I tongue in cheek will say traffickers are probably the most inclusive group of people in America today. (laughs) They don't discriminate on race, on age, on socioeconomic status, you know, kind of on anything that we might feel would rule someone out, you know, in our program alone. We've had girls that finished college that came from two parent households that you know, had a careers in healthcare. I mean, we've run the gamut. We've also seen women that came from really tough backgrounds, some that were foster children. And we've really seen that it, it crosses, it really crosses all the, all the lines. Of course, when we talk about who is the main people that are being trafficked, you know, when you look at 79% of those women of trafficking cases in the United States being sexual exploitation, the majority of the victims are predominantly women and young girls. But that's not to discount the number of men and, and young boys that are also trafficked. Well, Dion, I think it's uh, hard for us Americans that live in a free country that uh, has, you know, uh, good law enforcement when it comes to tracking down the bad guys. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's just one of those things that's just hard for us to process. And so, you know, given that these stakes are so high, you know, for both the victims and obviously the traffickers that could, uh, you know, end up in prison for the rest of their lives. You know, how mm-hmm. do these traffickers in our free country keep their victims at bay? Yeah. So, I mean, from a legal standpoint, right, if force, fraud or coercion were present in, you know, the buying and selling of this person, then they're considered a victim. And I often have to explain that to people when we talk about sexual exploitation, sex trafficking. When you look at, you know, perhaps somebody that you might just assume is prostituting herself and the difference between that. So typically what traffickers do is they use physical and mental and emotional abuse to keep their victims in line. If I can make a woman or a young person feel as if I am the only person in their life that cares about them. And at the same time, I'm inflicting all kinds of sadistic abuse on them. 
And I add on top of that a substance and hook them on um, some sort of illegal substance, then I can have control of them for as long as I can use them. And that's typically what we found is that there really is very little options of escape for victims. I mean, I think the law enforcement had listed about two years ago that they were finding that people were only leaving this life with their traffickers through an intervention program like Samaritan Village, somebody intervening on their behalf, or that they become so emotionally, mentally, or physically beaten down that they're almost incapacitated, unable to perform kind of the quote unquote duties of their job that the trafficker actually has no more use for them. So they're kind of discarded. And then the last way that they found was through death. So, you know, it's, we often think, well, why don't these people just leave if they're able to, if, if trafficking is what you're explaining it to be, then it should be a much simpler escape, but it's really not. A lot of it is more mental and emotional abuse than we often anticipate. As I've learned from some past interviews, there there tends to be sort of a, a typical place where trafficking occurs, and sometimes it's referred to as short-term residence, so like a casino, a hotel. But uh, tell us more about that. Where where does trafficking typically take place? Yeah, trafficking. That's a great a great response. I mean, trafficking occurs where there are lots of people, right? Touristy places like Florida, California, they're prime for trafficking because you can move your victim around without it being noticed, right? There's in places where there's a lot of people. When we talk about some of the large conventions that come to our major cities, well, a trafficker can bring in women to that city and sell her to the people showing up for these conventions and then leave the city and nobody would ever know. They they blend in. So I often say that trafficking occurs in plain sight, right? But it doesn't just happen in big cities or in those casinos and hotels. It, it does, but it happens in small towns, um, in wealthy neighborhoods. A lot of familial trafficking happens. And so therefore it's completely under the radar when you've got parents that are trafficking their own children or husbands trafficking their wives. Well, you, you said plain sight, you mentioned a couple of, I mean, really disturbing. I, I, this is something I just learned new. You have family members trafficking each other, which is just, uh, just a horrible thing to think about. Um, and in terms of, uh, preventing this and sorry, I'm a little uh, taken off guard by that because it's pretty shocking that, uh, family members would do that to each other. But, uh, you know, in terms of prevention and spotting it and maybe doing something about it, you know, what, what are the signs? And you said it happens in, you know, plain sight out in the open. What are the signs so people maybe like me can open our eyes and see it. Yeah. So I always tell people, if you see something that doesn't feel right or seems off, maybe a a really mismatched couple and they're showing signs of maybe physical injuries or abuse, or there seems to be a different type of social interaction between the two. Maybe the one um, appears with their head down a lot. And there's just, there's a, there's a difference in how typically maybe a couple would, a couple in love would interact with one another. Or if you're in a place or in a, in a position where you're able to ask questions and, you know, somebody doesn't have identification documents or they just appear like they're lacking things. You know, I always say, trust your gut. If something feels wrong, it probably is. But it's, it's really difficult to spot because trafficking can look like so many different things. I, I train um, and teach nursing students on how to spot it in nursing school. And one of the things that I say is I'm like, it looks like everything and nothing all at the same time. That's difficult. That's a, a difficult thing to focus on and, and just how it happens right out in front of you. Well, how about this? You know, I'm, I'm sure there's parents listening out there and they're probably thinking like, how do I protect my kids or someone I love from getting caught up in this? What, what can people do to protect their families? 
Sure. So I, I tell parents to parent. It is okay to have your kids' passwords to all of their equipment. And I'll, I'll just share a quick story. Last year, I received a phone call from a church of a woman who wanted help for her and her daughter because her daughter was playing one of the games that all the kids are playing. I think it was Fortnite and had met a person through this game who she thought was a friend of a friend that she had met at a birthday party. This guy over the over the game basically just picked a random name and it just happened to connect for her. Um, and then she thought she was meeting him down the, meeting her friend down the street. And there stood a man in his car saying, Hey, I'm so-and-so's dad hop in. She was found two States over the oh reason they were able to, yeah, they were able to find her under 24 hours. And the reason they were able to do that was because her mom had every password that she had. And so they were able to kind of track her conversations and whatnot. So they were able to find her very quickly. So I always say parents, it's okay to parent, you know, set a high standard of love within your home. When we talk to a lot of survivors that maybe lived the quintessential life, right? The all-American life, it was because there was something lacking emotionally that they were not getting in home. And so that trafficker sensed that vulnerability and played to that to their advantage. Talk to your children about sexual abuse. Talk to your children about sex trafficking. Those are hard topics, but don't make them off limits because children have to know. And then, you know, of course, the obvious of making sure that you're aware of what social media and internet usage and gaming systems that your kids are using and and educating them on the dangers of using them. I, I think those are the, if you can do nothing else, you know, you could do those four or five things and you've placed your child in a much better position to stay protected. I think that's good advice. I mean, I know parents are up against a lot and I know the internet brings us a lot of great things and social media and video games and all that uh, interconnection, especially now because we're all so isolated because of the pandemic, but uh, it also brings a lot of badness to our lives and uh, you got to protect the ones you love. So quick follow-up on that. You know, if, if you do seem to, uh, you get suspicious, you start to see some signs, or you're kind of questioning, uh, in addition to maybe calling law enforcement, are there some other resources out there you can contact to help prevent this from happening? Sure, you can absolutely call, and I would encourage everyone to call the Human Trafficking Hotline, which is 1-888-373-7888. That number uh, will take a report. And why I tell people this is important, in, on, in addition to contacting local law enforcement, you know, when we talk about human trafficking, it's a fairly new, it's not a new phenomenon, but it's fairly new to us and, and truly understanding it. And by calling that human trafficking hotline, we're pinging it. We're saying, hey, we saw something that was suspicious over in this area. And the more calls we get from this area, the more law enforcement begins to say, hey, we're noticing a pattern over here and we need to check out what's happening in this neighborhood, in this community. And so it's important for us for reporting and for data so call that human trafficking hotline. They, they will dispatch local law enforcement. I think that's one of the key things you can do if you suspect it's happening. Well, last question for you, Dee. If uh, people want to learn more from your organization or for you yourself, or maybe they want to help out, maybe they want to donate to Samaritan Village, how can they find you? Sure. They can find us on our website at www.samaritanvillage.net. Um, and they can sign up on our website to, to get our monthly newsletter or just learn more about us. Well, Dee, thank you so much for joining us and uh, making the time to talk to us about this very important topic. Thank you for having me. And thank you listeners for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please rate us in your favorite podcast. Yeah, it's good for the show. And I want to give a quick shout out to my team, producer Molly McDonough and our LTN crew. Your efforts are always appreciated. This has been Legal Talk Today. I'm Lawrence Coletti. Have a great day, everybody. 
Thank you.